Hello and welcome to Living Hope. This is Pastor Staten, and I want to welcome everybody that is joining us today. A shout out to our E family, all of you that are joining us through the internet. I want to remind you every Sunday morning at 11 o'clock, you can join us live at tv.livinghopemd.com. I pray that today's message blesses you and that you enjoy the word as it is shared today. I'm so lost to be found, and I know it's in my mind. For their practice. By the way, we want to say we're proud of our Bible quizzers. Amen. And uh, all of our. Herbie, how many verses have those quizzers learned? Do you know? A lot. More than 20? More than 100? 1,000? 10,000? A healthy. And these are our young children. And uh, they're. They memorize, I think it's safely over a hundred verses of scripture. That's amazing. Amen. Amen. That's amazing. We have the promise if we'll hide the word. Amen. Hide the word. Amen. Amen. And I do want to say thank you to all that came out today. I know we had the celebration of life service for Sister uh, Taylor here earlier today. And many of you that came out to be a part of that. And Bishop preached. Amen. I, I wanted to get baptized again before he was done preaching. Amen. What a great uh, service that we had, though. And Bishop Watts uh, spoke a little bit as well. And uh, what a, just a tremendous service. And again, thank you to all that came out and uh, many of you that came and helped us by working to make it possible to have that service. Amen. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to turn to Acts chapter 2, and we're going to start in verse 14. And we're going to read through 22 in your standing, and then we'll continue on. We're going to read all the way through verse 42. Again, we're taking the book of Acts throughout this year, and we're taking it kind of one stanza. And uh, certainly there's probably different ways you could break that up, but we're using the English Standard Version, which is a literal word-for-word translation of the Bible. And we're using that as kind of our template. And so as they break it down into a segment, that's what we're going to study. And tonight's segment was is pretty lengthy. It doesn't mean it necessarily what, what out my part will be more lengthy than the other. So we get worried. Man, like, man last week we were here quite a while and those were only a few verses. Amen. So let's start in verse 14. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken to this sermon I'm about to preach. These men are not drunken as you suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last day, saith God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaids I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy, and I will show wonders in heavens above and in signs in the earth beneath blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, the moon into blood before that great and notable day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You men of Israel, hear those words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did by him in the midst of you as ye yourselves also no, the Lord bless you. You can be seated. We're going to continue reading, though. Him, 
Speaking of Jesus being delivered by the determinate counsel, the foreknowledge of God, ye have taken, and by your wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. Amen, I like that. He loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that death could hold him. For David speaketh concerning Jesus, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand, that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice, and my tongue was glad. Moreover, also my flesh shall rest in hope. Just a second, when I'm done, Elements is going to be dismissed. Every week I do it. It's a tradition. It's a tradition that I don't remember until I'm halfway through reading. All right, they already went out. Where was I at? Uh, let's start 27. Was that 27? Because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life. Thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulcher is with us this day. Therefore, being a prophet, knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him, that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. He, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption, that Jesus God, hath God raised up, whereof we are all witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed forth this, which ye now see and hear. For David is not ascended into the heavens, but he saith himself, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou in my right hand until I make thy foes thy footstool. Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts, and they said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost for the promises unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourself from this untoward generation. Then they, glad, they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Amen. Last week, our memory verse, anybody remember what it was? Acts 2, verses 1 through 4. How many of you already know that? You could stand right now if I asked you to, and you could quote Acts 2, 1 through 4. Amen, a few of you. All right. This week's memory verse, amen. And again, we're just doing this for the... Uh, sake of helping us, giving us a little bit of challenge to memorize scripture, amen, Acts chapter 2, verse 29 through 33 will be our memory verse, amen, so the next time we come together, who knows, I might just call on one of you to stand up and, and tell us without looking at your Bible what Acts 2, 29 through 33, and if, if you say it right, everybody in the church gets a free Big Mac or something like that, I don't know. You miss one word, though, everybody in the church buys me a Big Mac for the rest of the year. Okay, none of that will happen, but we may call on somebody. All right, so the English Standard Version has taken this segment of Scripture, 
And we're just simply going to talk about tonight under the heading of these uh, verses that are shared uh, from Acts chapter 2, verse 14 through verse 41. Uh, And the summarized statement that we're going to look at is Peter's sermon at Pentecost. Amen. Peter's sermon at Pentecost. So uh, Simon Peter preaches one of the most powerful, well put together sermons that will ever be preached. Amen. In fact, every sermon that is preached today pretty much points back to that one. Amen. Because if it weren't for that sermon on the day of Pentecost giving us instruction, as it did to that crowd that was there, amen, who knows where we'd be today. Amen. It was a a powerful word of God. And so we're going to look at the structure of this sermon. And I would say for, how many of you know that you're a preacher of the gospel? Amen. If you've got the Holy Ghost, if you've been baptized in Jesus' name, you are a preacher of the gospel. Amen. Well, I've never held a microphone. You don't need a microphone to be a preacher. I've never stand behind, behind a pulpit or a lectern. You don't have to stand behind a lectern, all right? A, a preacher is somebody simply who declares the gospel. Amen? You could be a preacher on your job. You could be a preacher to that waitress that waits on you at the restaurant. Amen? You could be a preacher to the lady that is checking out the, at the groceries, uh, checking your groceries there through the grocery line. All right? It's somebody simply, when we declare the gospel, we are preaching. When we declare the good news, Amen? And so uh, it's important any time that we preach, whether it's behind a lectern as a a put-together sermon, uh, I would say certainly these principles apply. But if you're going to preach, you need to know your audience. Amen. You need to know your audience. Amen. My dad used to say to the church this way, don't don't skin skin the fish before you get them in the boat. I think is how you said it. Or scale the fish. I I think it's scale fish. Don't clean up the fish before you get them in the boat, right? All right. What, what does that mean? It means you can't, you can't give people what they're not ready for. All right, so many times we want to get people, uh, you know, ready for revelation when they're back in a Genesis walk with God, right? We, we want to see, see them here, and they're not ready for it. The Bible talks about, amen, that as babes we desire the sincere milk of the word. There comes a point in time where we're ready, where we're ready for the meat of the word. But, but if, how many of you know what happens when you give a baby that doesn't have teeth and you give them a, a chunk of steak? What's going to happen? They're going to choke. And so we need to know our audience. We need to, we need to know the audience that we're talking to. One, one of the fundamental truths of effective preaching is know your audience, whether that's on a Sunday uh, delivering from a, a, a lectern or behind a pulpit or, again, whether you're talking to the waitress at, you know, there at, there at the restaurant, right? That's probably not the time to... To break down for her, you know, uh, to, to begin breaking down, you know, some of uh, ju- what justification means. Or, you know, uh, that might, maybe, maybe that is a good point to talk about justification. Or getting into, you know, some of the deeper things of the scripture. It's probably not the right place if, you know, you start talking or she starts weeping that she's got trouble. She just needs to know Jesus loves her. All right? She just needs to know that there's hope for her life. And so knowing your audience is an essential element of being an effective preacher of the gospel. For example, if I'm preaching at a youth conference, it probably is not going to be effective for for me to try to connect with my audience by opening up with an illustration about the essentiality of being prepared for retirement. All right, do you understand how that might not, they're going to be like, what is he talking about? Right, retirement is like old people, what old people do. That's what what the younger generation, they don't even think they're ever going to be that old. So if I'm trying to connect with them like, my, my opening slide up there is AARP. They're not going to be connecting with me, right? 
Likewise, if I'm preaching to a group of senior citizens at a nursing home, my opening illustration is probably not going to be about posting selfies on Instagram. And then, what in the world is he talking about? What is Instagram? All right, maybe, maybe they would know today, but I, I'm, everybody understand where I'm going with that? Likewise, if I know that my audience is comprised of a group that is not yet saved, probably a sermon on the office of a bishop may not be the best direction to go. Knowing the audience that you are preaching to enables for effective direction and effective delivery. I would say this, wisdom. How do you know knowing what to say, knowing the wisdom in, in what to say and how to say it is just as important as knowing truth? If we're going to declare the gospel to people, we need to pray that God will give us wisdom in how to declare that gospel. Amen? Uh, so knowing the audience is very important. The scripture details for us the audience of Simon Peter's message on the day of Pentecost. In verse 5, it gives us, it tells us the culture of the congregate of the crowd that he's going to speak, be speaking to. Right? The Bible tells us they are Jews that live in Jerusalem. It tells us that they are devout and that they had come from diverse nations. So we know the culture, he's not preaching to Gentiles. He's not talking, right? We, we know who he's talking. He's talking to people that have come from different nations and now they live in Jerusalem and they are devout Jews. And that gives us a lot of information, all right? Knowing that gives us a lot of information. Secondly, verse 11 tells us their condition, right? They were all amazed and were in doubt. That was their, Peter's getting ready to preach to these people. And, and you got to know your crowd, right? You got to know who you're getting ready. I think it's called social awareness or emotional awareness maybe, right? You got to know who you're talking. You got you to have some sensitivity to where people are at, right? Bishop is here right now. He's the king of that. I mean, he, he you, know, you can get people crying, right? You can, you can walk in and talk to anybody because he's got this. I think he's got like a sixth sense of it, though. He's got a, you know, the rest of us don't have that ability. But he can just walk in and know right where people are at and connect with them. And, and it's so important in connecting with people that we know their condition. All right? The Bible tells us in verse 11 that they were all amazed and they were in doubt. Now, that doubt does not mean that they were doubting what was going on. If you study it out, it means that they were perplexed. They were wondering, what, what is going on? Not were they questioning, is this real? They, were, they simply had questions. What is this? That we are, They were amazed. right? Simon is looking at them and he's seeing. These people, these are devout Jews. These are the same people not long ago that were yelling, crucify him, crucify him. But now, look at them. They're, they're hearing these people speak with other tongues and speak in all of the languages from the different nations that they came out of and their, their, their jaws are hanging open, their mouths are wide open. I can see that they're amazed, but I can also see that they're perplexed. They need some instruction. Amen. And then verse 13 tells us that there were some that mocked. Amen. Some that mocked. Anybody ever seen somebody, it's their first time in a Pentecostal service? And they don't really know what to do. Right? They might elbow their neighbor. They're like, look at that guy. Right? James Phillips takes a lap, and they're like, what, what in the world is going on in here? We need to put an ASCAR patch on that guy, give him some sponsors while he's taking laps around here. They don't know what to think about it. It's, it's not that they're being irreverent. They just don't know what to think about it. And, and uh, uh, author Andrew Smith, not biblical author, but just author Andrew Smith made this statement, we fear what we don't understand. And Simon is able to, is able to understand his audience that is there, that these people are amazed and they're perplexed, and because they don't have understanding, they're mocking. Some of them are mocking, and they mock by asking these questions. Are these men drunk? And we can get, if we're not careful, we can get defensive when people 
may come across to us as mocking, but it's simply they don't have understanding. And rather than us becoming defensive and going on the attack on them, what we need to do is what Simon did. Amen. And, and, and this is the audience that Simon Peter is about to preach to. And the question that he is preaching to, right, can anybody, I'll give you a little uh, investigative work. So look through, look through the verses there as we begin in, uh, in Acts chapter 2. And I'll, let me look in my notes here. Um, let's see, let's, I think it's verse 12. There's a question that Simon Peter, he's getting ready to preach a message in response to a question that they asked. Is it in verse 12? What meaneth this? That's the question, right? Simon Peter is getting ready to preach a sermon, and he's preaching to a bunch of devout Jews. That's the culture he's preaching to. People that not too long ago had shouted, crucify him, crucify him. That's his culture that he's preaching to. And he, he, he recognizes the climate that he's preaching to. Their mouths are hanging open. They can see on their faces, they're, they're perplexed. They don't know what's going on. Some of them are, hey, look at those guys. They're drunk, man. It's not even third hour of the day yet, and they're already tipsy, right? But, but Simon sees through that, and he recognizes the question is, what's going on? What meaneth this? Whatever's happening right now is real, and we want to know what is going on. Amen. Knowing the question that we are preaching to, Again, whether that's behind a pulpit or at a, uh, a table with a waitress standing there talking. How I many of you ever got to talk, you know, in a, you've been in a restaurant and God opened the door for you to, to share the gospel with somebody in a restaurant or at a grocery store? Anybody show of hands? All right. If you haven't, you, it, it probably has happened. You just didn't recognize it. You need to be looking for that, okay? God is going to open the door. But, but you need to be looking. What is the question that they have? It wasn't long ago that we, we had gone to service after uh, after the service was over, we'd gone to a restaurant, and uh, the, the waitress there, I think, was at the Green Turtle. And, you know, we, we were just talking to her, and she opened up about some of the things that were going on in her life. And the question she was asking, is there any hope for me? That was the question she was asking. All right, it wasn't the time for me to talk to her about why tithe is biblical. All right, I needed to respond to the question that is being asked. And we, as preachers of the gospel, tell your neighbor, you are a preacher of the gospel. Amen. Everybody in this building, you are a preacher of the gospel, and we need to know what questions are, what question is my neighbor asking? What question is the waitress at the restaurant asking? What question is the lady there checking out the groceries that I'm buying? What question are they asking? Why? Because that's the sermon that we need to preach is based upon the question that they are answering. Knowing what question we are preaching to allows us to be effective in our preaching. Usually if we don't know the question that we're working to address, the people that we're preaching to leave with more questions than when we started. We're, we're actually feeding them more questions. The, the fact that they were, there's three factors that I want us to kind of draw from this. The fact that they were amazed meant that he had a captive audience. Right? Most of the time, you know, as a preacher, I want to come up with a really catchy sermon title. Or a nice looking graphic up there because it gets the attention of the people. Or I want to start off with some kind of illustration because half the battle is capturing the attention of your crowd. But Simon said, I got them. They're amazed. Amen. They're hearing us all speak with other tongues and we're declaring in their languages the wonderful works of God. Amen. Half the battle is already done because Simon has a captive audience. The fact that they were all Jews from Jerusalem 
meant that this message was going to be a convicting message. Again, these were part of the crowd that had been there. Probably, no doubt, they were, they were part of the crowd that had ordered for the crucifixion of Jesus. Right? And so he, he recognizes, I'm about to preach a message of conviction. I'm about to confront them with some things that are not, to be, not going to be comfortable. And the third thing, the fact that they were all perplexed mean that it meant that his sermon had to be convincing. All right? Three things there. He had a captive audience. He was going to have to be convicting. And he was going to have to be convincing. Amen? So let's look at this great sermon that Simon Peter preaches that I believe checks off both of those marks. It is both a convicting and it is a convincing sermon. Just as every Sunday when I or another minister stands to preach, what's one of the first things that a preacher does anytime they stand in this pulpit? Right before you sit down, they ask you to do something. Turn with me in your Bibles. Right? Why, why is that? We're using a biblical text to bring to you a biblical truth. Amen. If somebody gets up here, all right, and the Bible talks about a day when people will want people to come up here and just start telling stories. And unfortunately, there are churches all across our nation. In fact, it wasn't long ago somebody came and visited, and after, after service was over, they said, we love it because you still use the Bible to preach. And I was like, I didn't know there was anything other way to do it. But it is. There are approaches today where they just get up and talk about life. They talk about, they tell their stories about what's going on. I believe the foundation of all preaching should be the Bible. Amen. The, the foundation of every sermon should be the scripture. And Simon Peter does, begins the same approach. Before Simon gets into the heart of his message, he takes them to scripture. Again, what question is he addressing? What meaneth this? That's the sermon, all right? So as he's getting ready, ready to preach his sermon, he knows, I've got to answer this question, what meaneth this? All these people are, are witnessing the, the, the outpouring of the Holy Ghost and evidence by speaking other tongues, and they're asking this question, what meaneth this? And so he says, turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Joel, chapter 2, verse 28 through 32. Now, he doesn't say that, but he, that's what he does. He takes them to Joel, chapter 2, verse 28 through 32, which says, and it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And whether it's in the pulpit, or whether it's in the grocery store, or it's in the restaurant, you've got to know the scripture. If you're going to declare truth, it can't just be that you tell somebody this story. You've got to be able to tell them this is what the Bible says. Amen? Well, my pastor says, no, what does the Bible says? Amen. Well, I heard, you know, the minister on TV say, no, what does the Bible, you got to know that. That's the foundation is what does the word says, say, sorry. He goes on in verse 18 and says, and, and on my servants and on my handmaids, I will pour out in those days of my spirit. Again, what question is he answering? What meaning? He's telling them this is what it means. Joel talked about this. I'm, I'm taking you chapter and verse right now into what Joel said, that I'm going to pour out in those days my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and notable day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Simon Peter, the first point that he makes is, this is that. They came with the question, what is this? 
And Simon Peter answered and says through the scripture, this is that. Amen. What you are witnessing is the outpouring of God's spirit upon all flesh. Amen. You want to know what this is? Let me take you to the book of Joel, and I'm going to tell you what this is. Can I tell you in 2023 what it still is, is what Joel prophesied. Amen. It's still the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. Amen. And it's still for all flesh. It's for white flesh, it's for brown flesh, it's for black flesh, it's for red flesh, it's for all flesh. It's for rich flesh, it's for poor flesh, it's for educated flesh, amen. It's for all flesh, amen. Aren't you thankful today to know what meaneth these things? Amen. And what Simon Peter is telling them, and he goes on because a portion of what he tells them about Joel's prophecy had, was not fulfilled that day. It was a partial fulfillment. As I'm going to read this note from the Apostolic Study Bible. While the entire content of Joel's prophecy was not fulfilled that day, all right, the blood, the fire, and vapor of smoke, Peter acknowledged that those present were observing the outpouring of the Spirit on all flesh. He specifically included men and women, sons and daughters, male and female servants. The inclusion of all flesh or other nations was soon realized as Samaritans in Acts 8 and Gentiles in Acts chapter 10 received the Holy Spirit. The universal promise of the Holy Spirit was declared as a fulfillment of prophecy here and continued to be realized throughout the book of Acts. Amen. That was point number one that Simon made in his sermon when he was answering that question, what mean these things? Here's what it means. It means that this is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel, that God is pouring out his Spirit upon all flesh. Amen. The second point that Simon uh, brings out in his sermon, he emphatically proves that what is taking place, when they say what meaneth these things, Simon goes on to preach and emphatically proves that what is happening is evidence that Jesus is alive. It didn't just prove to them what Joel had prophesied, but it also is evidence to them that Jesus was not in that tomb, that his body had not been snatched by grave robbers, amen, but that Jesus had been resurrected from the dead and he was alive. Now again, you got to know your audience. All right? These are the very people that just a few days before had been, or maybe weeks before, had been responsible for saying crucify him and were there when the judgment had been passed down for Jesus to be crucified and probably had cheered even as the nails were driven into his hands and feet and Jesus hang on that cross. Amen. They were part of that crowd that, that believed that Jesus was a, an imposter. Amen. They believed that it was blasphemy when, when that sign was placed over his, his head that he was the king of the Jews. That's who he was. Simon knew his audience and he was telling his audience that that Jesus that you crucified, he ain't in the grave any longer. And what you are witnessing right now is evidence that Jesus is alive. When you get the Holy Ghost, you don't just get jibber-jabber. You get evidence that Jesus is alive. You don't just get born into, the, into a Pentecostal denomination. You get the power of the Almighty God working in your life. And Peter used five convincing arguments to prove that Jesus was alive. Number one. The testimony of who Jesus was demanded that he be raised from the dead. 
the testimony of who Jesus was demanded that Jesus be raised from the dead. In other words, if Jesus is who he says he is, there's no way he's still in the grave. And so let's look at what he said to, to bring this truth about. Acts 2 and 22. He said, men of Israel, I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible. Listen to these words. Jesus, the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs, which God performed through him in your midst just as you yourselves know. In other words, he's saying, you know, you saw him. You know he did miracles. You know he did signs and wonders. He goes on and says, this man, Jesus, delivered over by a predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. All right? It wasn't your plan. You all thought it was, but it wasn't your plan. It was God's plan. Here comes the convicting part. You nailed him to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. But that's not the end of the story. But God raised him up again putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. Amen. Simon Peter is telling them that Jesus that you all had crucified, he ain't still in the grave because that Jesus who did miracles, signs, and wonders, it's impossible for death to keep him in the grave. Amen. A man that raised others from the dead could not remain dead himself. John chapter 10, verse 17, Jesus said, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I may take it again. No one has taken my life away from me, but I lay it down of my own initiative. I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up again. This commandment I received from my Father. Simon is telling them, Jesus isn't dead. He's not in the grave. And what you're witnessing right now is a testimony that Jesus is alive. And in 2023, every Sunday, when somebody walks down to this altar and raises their hands, and they are filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost, it is evidence that Jesus is alive. The second point that Simon makes in this sermon, again, to affirm that Jesus is alive, he points to Psalms chapter 16, verse 8 through 11. And he tells us that there the psalmist predicted the resurrection. All right? He's, and they love, they love David, right? David was one of their dudes. Right? He, again, he knows his audience. Right? King David, mighty King David. And so he points to one of their heroes. And he says, hey, long before this happened, David... David predicted Jesus was going to be resurrected. Acts 2 and 25, Simon says, For David said of him, I saw the Lord always in my presence, for he is at my right hand so that I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue exalted. Moreover, my flesh also will live in hope, because you will not abandon my soul to Hades, nor allow your Holy One to undergo decay. You may have known me to me the ways of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. And here's what, here's what uh, Simon Peter says. You guys thought David was talking about him. David wasn't talking about him. David was prophesying Jesus is going to get out of the grave. And he goes on and says in verse 29, Brethren, I may confidently say to you regarding the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. In other words, David wasn't talking about himself because his tomb is right over there. He died and he's still in the grave. 
but he was a prophet, and God had sworn to him an oath to seat one of his descendants on the throne. He looked ahead and spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was neither abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh suffer decay. Amen. I'll read that from the New Living Translation. Dear brothers, think about this. All right, he took them back to Psalms, and he read them this psalm. Where David is saying, you're not going to let me stay in hell. You're not, you're not going to let my soul go down into the, de- into the depths of death. But you're going to resurrect me. And here's what Simon is saying. Brothers, think about it. You can be sure that David was not talking about himself. Because he died and was buried. And his tomb is still here among us. But he was a prophet. David was prophesying. And he knew God had promised with an oath that one of David's own descendants So David was prophesying and saying, not me, but through my descendants, one of my descendants is going to sit upon the throne. David was looking into the future and he was speaking of the Messiah's resurrection. He was saying that God would not leave him among the dead or allow his body to rot in the grave. Again, David, or rather Simon Peter is presenting to them what you're witnessing right now is just further evidence, amen, that David was prophesying that the Messiah is going to resurrect. He's not going to stay in the grave. The third point that David, I'm sorry, I keep David on my mind now. The third point that, the, that Simon Peter used to uh, give them the assurance that Jesus Christ was resurrected is he presents that the apostles themselves were witnesses that had seen the risen Christ. Acts 2 and 32, Simon says, This Jesus God raised up again, to which we are all witnesses. Amen? This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we all, speaking of himself and the other disciples, we are all witnesses. Amen? Last week we looked at the the portion of Acts where it tells us that Jesus had showed himself alive, amen? He had showed himself alive to about 500 witnesses. And Simon Peter is, tell, is saying to them, look, this Holy Ghost, amen, that is being poured out right now, it, it is evidence to you that it's testimony that Jesus Christ is not in the grave. Secondly, he said that, Simon, that David prophesied and said that Messiah is not going to stay in the grave. But he said the third evidence that I want to give you is that I've seen him for myself. Amen, you've got to know what the scripture says. You've got to know what the Bible says, but if you're going to preach to somebody about Jesus, you've got to see him for yourself. Amen. I, I, I would say this tonight. Thank God. I love our young people. But young people, you're not going to preach a gospel to your world if you're living off of mom and dad's salvation. you got to see Jesus for yourself. If you're going to convince people that Jesus is alive, you got to be able to tell them, I've seen it for myself. Amen. He's alive and well. Amen. The fourth point. The coming of the Holy Ghost is proof that Jesus is alive. The New King James Version says it this way in verse 33 of Acts 2. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. He's saying the man Christ Jesus arose, amen, and he took that promise, amen, that was given to him by the Father and is now pouring that out upon us. And what you see in here now is evidence that Jesus is alive. Amen. Hallelujah. The Holy Ghost we get ain't the third person in the Trinity. 
When you get the Holy Ghost, you're getting the Almighty God. Amen. You're getting the power of God poured out. Amen. Amen. You're getting the testimony and the witness. Amen. That Jesus Christ is alive. And then finally, the final point that Simon Peter makes as evidence that Jesus is alive, that he is resurrected, is he points to Psalms chapter 110, verse 1, which promised his resurrection. This being in verses 33 through 35. Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God, having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured forth this which you both see and hear. For it was not David who ascended into heaven, but he himself, the Lord, said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Amen. So these five points of evidence that I just presented to you is what Simon is presenting to his, again, knowing his audience, knowing that these people were there that had shouted crucify him, and now Simon, amen, it's like a preacher getting up, and for the first 30 minutes they preach on sin, and they, they hammer on all of them. They, get them. they don't miss one, right? How do you like it when the preacher gets all the sins but not yours, Right? He didn't, he didn't get me today. Thank God. He didn't get my sin. He didn't get my pet. Amen. Some of you think that the preacher's been checking your emails because he's stepping on your toes. and Somebody's telling him about what's going on with me. I promise you, most of the time he has no idea. Amen. But for the first 30 minutes, Simon Peter is hammering them. This Christ Jesus who was crucified was crucified because of you. He was crucified because of what you did. Amen. But then he turns it around and said, if, if he would have left it there, he would have left it there that it was just Jesus had been crucified, they would have been hopeless. But he turns it around and says, but hope is not lost because Jesus isn't in the grave any longer. Amen. Yes, you sinned. Yes, you sinned by condemning him to death. But the good news is he's not dead any longer. Keep in mind that Peter, Peter was not preaching the gospel of the cross like we preach it today. When we preach the cross, it's all hope. And, and certainly it is. But he was accusing Israel of a great crime and warning them that they had rejected and crucified their own Messiah. Peter was giving Israel one more opportunity to receive Jesus Christ. They had slain John the Baptist and Jesus, but God was now giving to them another chance. The resurrection of Christ was the promised sign of Jonah that proved that he was the Messiah. Amen. The application of that sermon. Every, every sermon has to have application where we, where we take the scripture and then we begin to apply it to our lives. Amen. If we just got up here and you know, told the story of the Good Samaritan and in its biblical context, but we didn't make application, what does that mean for me? Well, the, this isn't just a story of a man that lived 2,000 years ago in a story that Jesus told, treating somebody kindly. It's a principle that we need to apply to our lives, that we love others, amen? That we're compassionate toward others. And so there has to be application of the scripture. And so we talked about at the very beginning, Peter knew his audience. He knew that the men that he was preaching to were the ones that were responsible for the crucifixion of Jesus. And because of that, he had to preach conviction. He had to confront them with their sin. He knew that these men had rejected Jesus as their Messiah once before, but now as Jesus had been resurrected, they had an opportunity to receive him again as their Messiah 
So secondly, his message had to be convincing. Amen. Verse 37 tells us that Peter's message delivered the payload. And it met its intended purpose. Because the Bible says in verse 37 that when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart. They, they, they were confronted with their sin. Conviction settled in. And they were reminded that they were the ones that were responsible for Jesus being nailed to that tree. But not only had they been convicted, but now they were convinced that Jesus isn't dead any longer. That even though we put him in that grave, he's not there any longer. And I'm convinced that there's still hope for me. Yes, you need to be convicted, but you also need to be convinced. You need to know today that yes, your sin might have been what put him on that tree, but there's hope for you because he got out of that grave. And we know that Simon's sermon hit the payload because they looked around to each other and they said, what, what shall we do? Amen. As a preacher, you can always tell when the word has hit the payload. Because you see people starting to ask that question. You can watch it on their, on their facial expressions. You can watch it in their body language. They're asking, how do I respond to this sermon? What can I do with what I'm feeling right now? How can I react to what has just been delivered to me from the word of God? Amen. To which Peter replied, the response of every sinner that is convicted of their sin. By the way, that wasn't just the crowd the, of the devout Jews in Jerusalem. But did you know today that it was your sin and it was my sin that nailed Jesus to that tree? Colossians 2 and 13. And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh has he quickened together with him, having forgiven you of all your trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing my sin, nailing your sin to his cross. Amen. And so today I preach to you the same message Simon preached, that you got to be convicted and know that your sin is what nailed him to the tree. But I also to preach to you a convincing message that there's hope today because Jesus is alive. And when they walk in here on Sunday morning, we preach a message of hope to them. Yes, you've got to be convicted of your sin, but I've got to convince you that there is another opportunity for you today, amen, to believe on Jesus Christ. What must we do? How many of you remember that first question, the first time you felt that prick in your heart? The preacher preached, the word of God went forth, and you felt that nudge in your spirit. I've... I can't just sit here. I've got to respond. I mean, I, I, I can't. I mean, you can hear a lot of good preaching, but if preaching doesn't move you, if preaching doesn't get down into your heart and cause you to respond and say, I've got to do something about this. I can't just sit here. And I believe every Sunday we come to the house of God, the word should prick us in our hearts. Amen. I believe every time we come, our question should be when the preacher gets done preaching, whether it's Sunday morning or Wednesday night, our question should be, what shall we do? How do I respond to this word? That The preaching of the word is not just for information's sake. Amen. It is for application's sake. And our response today is the same as it was for those devout Jews on the day of Pentecost. Repent. Baptism in Jesus' name and the infilling of the Holy Ghost. 
Amen. That method has not changed since the day of Pentecost. Amen. When people begin to hear the convicting word of God preached and they are pricked in their hearts. Amen. And we begin to convince them that it's not over. God still has a plan for you. Amen. When they begin to wonder what do I do with these things, we've got to confidently say to them, you've got to repent. Amen. You've got to be baptized in Jesus' name and you will receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Amen. It's for the most vile sinner. Amen. It's for the thief. It's for the murderer. It's for the robber. Amen. It's for the extortioner. It's for the liar. It's for all people. Repent and be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you shall receive the gift. We see this application of what Simon Peter preached. We see it demonstrated time and time again throughout the book of Acts. Peter's effective preaching had convinced them that what they had witnessed was the outpouring of God's spirit and it was evidence that Jesus was risen. That's that's what the power of preaching can do. People can come in with no hope in their life at all and they can walk out of there with all the hope in the world. We used to, Sister Joy took us back to an old song. Here's another one. We used to sing, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Amen. If all we do is celebrate that once a year on the same day that we do Easter egg hunts, if that's the only time we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, we're missing it. Amen. Can I tell you today that that is the hope that we have to give our world is that Jesus is alive. And because he's alive, you can overcome. Because he's alive, you can be delivered. Amen. Because he's alive, you can be set free. And he effectively used the word to convict and convince them. And the result was that they were pricked in their heart. Hallelujah. It goes against the flow of today's seeker-friendly church. Where we want to preach good sermons, where we don't confront anything. We want everybody to feel good. I just want you to feel good. I just want to preach an uplifting word that you feel better about yourself than you did. That, well, that ain't what Simon did. Simon preached so hard that the Bible said they were pricked in their hearts. Other translations say they were cut to their hearts. That doesn't sound like it feels good to me. I've gotten a paper cut and cried before. And I'm not talking about when I was seven. I'm talking about the last few months. All right? I, I've had little cuts that I should, they, they hurt. But to be cut to the heart. They were cut to the core. They were cut as deeply. How many of you know the, hurt, the, the heart hurt is the worst hurt you can have? And Peter preached so hard that they were pricked in their heart. Conviction hurts. You're not the only person that doesn't like to be confronted with their sin. Amen. None of us like it. Our humanity doesn't like it. It causes us to come face to face with our sin. It doesn't feel good. And that is why the altar, because if Simon Peter would have just stopped there, if he would have just ended his sermon by telling them how bad they were, that you are the ones that nailed Jesus to the tree, it would have been a, the worst sermon ever preached. Amen. But Simon didn't stop there. He said, now I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond. I'm not just going to tell you what you've done, but I've got to give you an opportunity to respond. And listen, listen to me, Living Hope. That is why we put so much emphasis on our altar. Hear me right now. That's why we put so much emphasis on our altar experience because that is where people have a chance to respond. Because if they don't have a chance to respond, all they leave with is they've been cut to the heart. Man, that preacher, he was hard. 
He was harsh. He, could, he, he talked about stuff that, in a way, somebody had to tell him what was going on in my life. I, I don't like that kind of preaching. And, but if we don't give them an opportunity to respond, they leave and they're wounded and they're bleeding. They're, we, we cannot just pass over the altar experience. As a church, when, when pastor gives the altar call, that should not be your sign to leave. It's the most important part of the service. Because the Bible says of those men that when Simon Peter got done preaching, they were pricked in their heart and they said, we've got to know how do we respond to this. I need to know what can I do because I'm dealing right now with conviction. And, and the only thing that eases conviction is I've got to respond. I've got to do something. And the Bible says, after Simon Peter told them to do, listen, there was a transformation that took place. And what a few minutes before was them being pricked in their heart, the Bible said, gladly they received the word. When you know how to respond to the preaching, there is a transition that takes place. And it's not just a cutting to the heart, but there's a joy that comes. So we can't rush through the altar experience because if we leave too soon, people leave wounded by the word rather than healed by the word. They've got to know that they can come to an altar and no matter how bad their sin is and no matter how vile their lives have been, that here's what you can do. You can come to an altar and you can raise your hands and repent and Jesus Christ can forgive you of your sin. You don't have to leave here cut to your heart. You can leave here gladly. If we're not careful, we, we, we're beyond that and we forget that. We forget. We forget. When it was our experience, we wanted everybody to linger and wait and stick around because I've been cut to my heart and I can't leave like this. I'm wounded. I'm hurt. I've got to know how do I respond to this. But if we're not careful, we get beyond that stage and we forget what it was like to need that. I'm asking you to remember what it was like the night that you repented. Amen. And that soothing balm of Gilead filled your soul. And the convicting power of the Word of God transformed your life. And your wound became gladness. Amen. And your hurt became joy. That's what happens when you respond to the preaching of the word. And it's our responsibility to help those people. It's my responsibility if I'm the guy standing here with the microphone on Sunday. It's my job to convict them and convince them. But it's our job to tell them how to respond. Better yet, it's our job to show them how to respond. Amen. Men and brethren, men and brethren, here's what you do. Repent. Here's what we do at Living Hope. We walk down to this altar and we raise our hands. Amen. And we confess our sins unto an almighty God. And what a few minutes ago was cutting us to our heart becomes gladness as that sin is lifted off of our lives and we are transformed into the image and the likeness of God. This promise is unto you. On. It's all, everybody, this, this promise is to you and to your children and to all. What a powerful message that was preached by Simon Peter on that day of Pentecost. But I want us to stand together tonight because that message is still the plan of salvation 2,000 years later. This past Sunday, we had guests walk into this building that had never been in an apostolic service before, and they were watching you. And they followed you down. There was a Megan standing her, here with her five children on Sunday, as far as I know her first Sunday ever being in an apostolic service. And she stood and raised her hands.
Amen. And she put that cup down and she left with a well on Sunday morning. Amen. Amen. She, amen. She had an encounter and experience with God because, because this church understood the importance of the altar. And I was so thankful that this church responded on Sunday the way that you did because guests were able to follow you. They were able to walk down to this altar. And instead of them leaving, cut to their heart, they were able to, they were able to leave here. We were able to rejoice as we took Mike down in waters of baptism on Sunday in the name of Jesus Christ. And this Sunday, guess what? It's going to happen all over again. And there's going to be guests that walk in here. Amen. There's going to be guests that walk in here. And it may not be Joel's. It may not be Joel that I turn to, but it's going to be the Word of God. And it's going to point back to that Acts chapter 2 experience. And when the preacher gets done, we're going to say, come on, here's how we respond. And they're going to walk down here. And they're going to walk down cut to their heart, but they're going to leave with gladness. Hallelujah. So as we conclude this Bible study tonight, I just want to invite you to raise your hands. I want to say that message that Simon Peter preached on the day of Pentecost is still the same. Everybody in this building, we need to recognize it was our sins that nailed him to that tree. It was my sin. It was my pride. It was my prejudice. It was my shame. It was my guilt. It was my lust. It was my perversion. Amen. It wasn't some Roman soldier that did him in. It was my sin that put him there. Amen. And I feel cut to my heart every time I think about it. But I'm so thankful today to know he's not still in that grave. He's alive today. Come on, he got up out of that grave. And so today I can come and I can repent of my sin. Amen. I can go down in waters of baptism and confess and profess he is my Lord and my Savior. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I want to invite us to come to this altar for just a few minutes before we leave. Come on, somebody. There's healing in this house tonight. The greatest sermon ever preached. The greatest sermon preached in the New Testament. The greatest sermon ever preached outside of Jesus. Amen. By any other man was this message preached by Simon Peter and it convicted and it convinced. Jesus is alive and because he's alive, I don't care what you're struggling with. I don't care what sickness you're battling with, what addiction you're fighting. Jesus is alive. There is hope for you. Come on, that's it. Would you pray with one another right now as we sing this just a couple of times through? Hallelujah. Thank you.
matter how, what you might have done, there's healing, there's forgiveness because he lives. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. the enemy meant to me for evil God meant to me for good and certainly that's that's a quote from the Bible most of my wife and I our life has been just been filled with a cra- uh, just amazing stories you don't realize it at the time when it's unfolding it's just maybe another day in life Maybe just meeting somebody in a cafe or in the grocery store. But you don't realize something supernatural is unfolding because that's just what God does. We were young. Uh, my, so young, we were in the state of Arizona. And near the campground, there was a little house and there was a an elderly lady that lived in that house and um, her husband had already passed on and somebody told me that that little lady was uh, a former missionary to China and so I went up and sat on the porch and just had a little conversation with her and she told me this story it was back near the time of the 
Azusa Street Revival. And she and her husband were so young and they had just received the baptism of the Spirit. And God spoke to them to go to China. And they had no money. And they had no idea how they were going to get there. And so they got a little bit, somehow got transportation from L.A. to San Francisco because that's where the freighters, the boats were leaving from San Francisco to go to China. And so they went and they were had their belongings, what they had, sitting on the dock because they were obeying the Spirit of God. They had no idea how they were going to get there. They didn't speak the language. They... But they were sitting on the pier, and uh, they'd been there a few days, and a captain of a ship walked by and got in a conversation with them and said, what are y'all doing? They said, we're going to China. We're going to go preach the gospel in China. And uh, he, he was an unbeliever. He kind of laughed at him. He said, well, how are you going to get there? And said, well, God's going to make a way. We're going to get on a boat. And we're going to go to China. He said, you don't have a ticket? They said, no. Do you have any money? And they said, no. And he laughed and went on his way, got on his boat. And he was really an atheist. He said, I'm going to prove to these people there's no God. So after a few days, he walked down there where they were. And he said, I want you to come on and get on my boat. I'm going to Shanghai, China. I'm going to take you to China. And so they got on the boat, and he said, uh, uh, I just want you to understand, your God, he is not taking you to China. I am. And they just lifted their hands and worshiped and said, what the men enemy meant to me for evil, God has meant to me for good. He took them to China. Without knowing the language, they preached this gospel, and many were baptized and received the Holy Ghost. I'm just telling you, God is doing something. I don't know if you, and I really don't care what you think about it, but the Spirit of God is moving in our land. Now, you can choose to listen to politicians. You can choose to listen to all of the bad, evil stuff that's going on. But I'm telling you, I read about it. There's a revival that's happened in Asbury, Kentucky. I heard that it's happened now at Lee University. That that spirit of revival is contagious. And I, I want to convince you in these few moments, you need to get ready. It was a family of five, but they're going to come from the north, the south, the east, and the west. Backsliders are coming home. The lost are coming to find Jesus. I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful that your pastor has not tried to change the message. Because that is the only message that saves from sin. One more time before we dismiss. I want you to raise your hands. I want you to let God give you a vision of multitudes walking through those doors. Hello, thousands, 
parking lot so crowded they can't even get in the parking lot parking on the streets parking over at regional park walking down the streets to get here because the spirit of god is going to be poured out let him give you vision the sick are going to come and be healed the blind eyes are going to be open the deaf ear is going to be healed the lame are going to walk hallelujah 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 what a word we have heard tonight evidence evidence he has risen from the dead oh my lord my i just i gotta stop but i don't want to stop but i'm gonna stop so we can let you go home but remember tomorrow remember on your way home if you got to stop somewhere you see somebody you don't got to preach the whole gospel to them. You got to let that spirit of God just shine out of you. Touch somebody's heart. Invite them to church. Everywhere I go, I meet people. I keep your cards in my pocket. And I hand them out everywhere I go. We went to that little restaurant today. I met Dominique and I met Kyrie. And I said, now girls, you got to take these cards. They're like a magic they got a little thing on them here and you can put them on your phone and they will tell you where you ought to go to church <laughs> them girls were so kind i said uh, do you have a class to teach people to be kind they said we do i said come on we have one too it's over to church and i met a young man at the restaurant the other day he was working behind the counter and he recognized me from years ago. And he said, Pastor Staten, can you pray for me? I said, come on out here. So he came around the counter. I wrapped my arms around him. He said, you got to pray for me. He said, I'm tired of the drugs. I'm tired of the alcohol. I'm tired of the tobacco. I need to be delivered. Would you pray for me? So right there in the restaurant, I just began to pray in the name of Jesus. Uh, I began to speak with other tongues. I don't care who's around. Jesus is real. Some of you, some of you will know that man, uh, young man, Francis Baker. You might think it's not. I'm telling you, I'm going to get a Bible study. I'm going to teach him a Bible study. That's a 12-step program, 12 lessons. I'm going to, uh, hello? Come on, because the Word is powerful. My challenge to you tonight is what he said. Now it's application. We've heard it. Now we got to take it out of here. And we got to begin to apply it to our neighborhood and to our businesses. Everywhere we go, Jesus, and you watch, they're going to come. Thousands are going to fill this place. You're going to have to start having churches morning, noon, and night. 
It might be like Asbury. You might have to have church on Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. They might get the Holy Ghost every day of the week. I know some of you are kind of smiling because you said, I knew he was going to come back and do this. I knew he's planning on having church every day of the week. <laughs> Lord Jesus, give us a soul. Lord, would you just say, Lord, give me a soul. Give me a soul. Let, him, let the burden for that soul rest on my heart. Help me to see with the spirit that they're, they're giving their heart to God and they're going to receive the Holy Ghost in God's going to heal their families and God's going to heal their marriages and God's going to deliver from drug addiction and alcoholism. Come on. That's what Jesus does. Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Jesus' name. See, you can't just... you got to look with expectation. Son, you got to get here earlier. You won't get a seat. And when you come, you got to sit on the edge of your seat like I'm hungry. I want some of this. I feel what God is doing. I've heard of folks that kind of skeptical about Asbury. Let me tell you something. Was, the year was 1972. My wife was an 18-year-old uh, young lady, and uh, she was raised in a denomination, didn't believe was speaking with other tongues. But there was a revival that was happening. They called it the charismatic renewal, and it was sweeping the nation. Oh, I know. I know we've got so much to grow, but let me just tell you, we have not got the corner on the market. We need a move of God. We need another move of God. We need 18-year-olds who are hungry for Jesus to come and find Jesus. And she went to a... She went to one of those services, kind of curious about those tongue talkers. She went and some lady behind her began to yell out, Jesus! Scared her so bad, she ran to the middle aisle, thought she was gonna get out of there. She looked to the back and it was all filled with people. She couldn't, so she just turned and ran the other way. She ran to the altar, never seen anybody do it, but threw herself upon the altar. And the preacher came over and said, are you here to receive the baptism of the Spirit? She said, I don't even know what I'm doing here. Two ladies took her aside there, read from her own Bible what you preach today, showed her in her own Bible, and she lifted her hands and God baptized her with the Holy Ghost. And for the first time in her life, she began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave her utterance. Oh God, bring them. Bring them from the north and the south. Bring them hungry. Sometimes it is easy to start on your destination without knowing the exact path that it takes to get there. To get to our destination, we need to follow the one who knows our predestined path. Be sure to subscribe and watch us every Sunday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Also, visit us at www.livinghopemd.com. So I'm going to wait on you, Jesus. I'm going to wait on you, Jesus.